the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter Six, Salvage Lookout. Susan awoke to muffled voices, scraping sounds, and faint clanking. She peeked out from her sleeping bag. A bright glow from the lodge tunnel lit up the far wall of their cellar. Both Justine and Kayla were already up and gone. But did I sleep late? She looked at her watch. It's still early. Why is everyone up already? Squinting in the brighter light of the lodge, Susan emerged from the tunnel. A few people sat eating breakfast at one end of the central table. Some people were gathered around the other end studying a map. A few others were checking gear or packing boxes. "'Oh, you're up,' said Emily. "'We thought you deserved a celebrational sleep-in. "'You found the road and all. "'Were we too noisy?' "'Huh? Uh, I don't think so. "'I just woke up.' Susan still blinked in the bright yellow glow from the oil lamps. At the side table, several people were huddled over a different map. Justine had some people around her map. Two men were inspecting rifles. Another pair were inserting fresh batteries into walkie-talkies. Two women and a man were sorting through boxes of tools. Why is everyone up so early? Susan asked. Special project. Needs all the time they can squeeze out of a day. They want to be ready to go as soon as the drones have passed. Oh, but hey, as long as you're up, would you like a cup of tea? We've got maple syrup for sweetener. Emily beamed. She motioned Susan over to the kitchen area. Mmm, this wood stove feels marvelous, Susan basked in the warmth emitted by the vertical steel drum. The faint whiff of wood smoke reminded her of sitting by Martin's wood stove. The memories made her smile. She sipped her tea and watched the tumult around the tables. Susan's mental wheels often didn't turn the quickest, first thing out of bed, yet two dots begged to be connected drones, and heat. Wait, uh, this stove is really warm, Susan said. Emily nodded as she stirred a pot atop the drum. You said drones haven't passed yet. Aren't you worried the drones will see the warm chimney and know someone's living here? They haven't so far, Emily gave a small shrug as she stirred. You'd have to ask Byron for all the boring techno details, but the simpler version is that the smoke and stuff cool off before they go out. Huh? Uh, how? Well, like I said, Byron could tell you more, though you shouldn't ask him unless you want to be stuck hearing about BTUs and thermal delta something-somethings. Basically, though, this big brick counter here absorbs a lot of heat. Byron calls it a mass heater. Then it goes up that pipe over there, through a tunnel that the boys dug, up to the married cabin. There isn't a lot of heat left by that point, but this winter I'll take even a few extra degrees. Then it goes out through a lot of holes, under a pile of junk that's under a tarp. By that point, it's cooled off. Hmm, Susan frowned into her cup of tea. The morning wheels were still turning slowly. Diffusing that much heat didn't seem possible. Yet Byron's group seemed to have avoided notice of the heat-seeking drones. So there had to be something to what Emily said. The bustle of the room captured her attention. What is everyone doing? she wondered. She cradled the warm cup in her cold hands and ambled to the central table, 
Xavier was pointing out the watch points that he wanted to be staffed. Hal and Charon offered advice on sight lines. It sounded like they didn't have enough security people to adequately watch the large area. She peered discreetly between two shoulders to see what the large area was. The map was marked Gravel Yard. She wondered why they wanted gravel so badly. She was curious, but didn't feel like announcing her cluelessness to the group. Susan backed away to eavesdrop on Justine, talking to a smaller group. A man to Justine's right emphasized his point with hand gestures. But if we change the wheels here, we won't have to take the time to do so at the tracks. I know everything is a trade-off, said Justine. The regular tires will pull faster on the roads to the tracks, and we must be fast. Yeah, agreed the man across the map from her, and the steel wheels will be louder on the roads, too. Justine stepped over to Xavier's group. When we get to the site... She pointed to a spot on the map. Offload the generator about here. It will have to be carried to this position. Workers will start cutting on the blue unit first. She tapped the map with her finger. Why not the orange one? Hal asked. It's closer and less exposed. I realize that, said Justine, but it has inferior trusses, thinner steel. We can use them as auxiliary material. The blue unit has the best and the strongest thrusts, if time becomes short. Like if a patrol was spotted, interjected the man. Yes, if the time were short, we want the blue trusses first, followed by yellow, and then, if time allows, the orange. Clear? Xavier frowned and grumbled. Then we'll need to put people down here and over here. This is an even bigger perimeter for too few eyes. You will do what needs to be done, Justine said, patting him on the shoulder. As Justine left the map table, Susan pulled at her arm. Um, could I ask you? Oh, good morning, Miss Susan. I thought you were going to sleep in today. You earned it, Justine beamed a wide smile. Oh, I just woke up, but never mind. What's going on at the gravel yard? Ah, well, now that you have succeeded, it is my turn, yes? Some of our foragers found trusses that we can use to shore up the bridge. They are currently part of three gravel conveyors, in the gravel yard on the other side of the river and south of here. Ah, uh, that's great, uh, right? Susan was sensing bad news layered beneath the good news. It is good that they found the trusses, yes, said Justine. Not as great, in that they are a distance away. That means carrying our equipment farther and having to carry the salvage a longer way back. That is a lot of work for arms and legs. But you remember the railroad tracks on the other side? Susan nodded. She recalled stepping over them, to and from the search for her road. Those tracks pass right by the gravel yard. So, Owen and some men worked through the night to repurpose two boat trailers and two other utility trailers. They have wheel spacing that will allow them to ride upon the railroad tracks. Our plan is to use them to haul the generator and tools to the site. We will use them to haul back the trusses that we harvest. Those trusses will be heavy and hard to move by hand. 
There is no time for slow movements. We must harvest and hide them all just in one day. Justine excused herself so she could talk to the tool sorters. Susan drifted back to the wood stove. The scene reminded her of times back at the Simmons house. Margaret and Anna would be grinding wheat, kneading dough, or cooking something. Dustin would be busy repairing something. Judy managed the radios. Lucas tended the many little solar chargers and the chickens. Andy worked on his acorns, beech nuts, and other things he had gathered. Martin cleaned the guns and fussed over his patrol schedule. That usually left her standing by the wood stove, sipping a cup of pine needle tea, doing basically nothing. The memory chafed at her. Can I help with something? Susan asked. Justine smiled. I think we have every task assigned. Take a break today. You have already succeeded in your mission. Now it is time for me to succeed at mine. I don't really want to take a break. I want to help uh, with something. There must be something I could do. She could carry the wheels for the generator's trailers, offered a man. No real room for them. I hate to see them drop and make a clanging sound. Uh, sure, yes, I, I could do that, said Susan. I could carry those wheels. It was a menial task, one which might be solved by several bungee cords, but it was something she could do. Okay, okay, surrendered Justine. You can carry the wheels. We must be ready to roll soon. The drones have made the first pass already. That means you have only five minutes to get dressed. I'm almost ready now. Susan set down her empty cup and ran to the tunnel. All clear, called a voice from beyond the trapdoor. Showtime! A line of people filed up the ladder and out of the pump house. Without words, everyone diverged to their designated area. Susan trotted along with the trailer crew. Near the driveway, beneath camo net and branches, sat four trailers in a random pile. Four people lifted each trailer off the pile, setting them on the gravel driveway. Each trailer had a pair of six-foot-long pipe crossbars welded to their tongues. Four people took up positions behind their half of the crossbars and trotted the trailer down the driveway. Susan jogged behind it. The trailer team designated for the generator and the tools pulled up to a cabin. A man handed Susan two steel rims. They were heavier than they looked and awkward to hold. Four people carried the steam boiler and engine with two long poles like it was the Ark of the Covenant. Wisps of steam curled up from a valve. When they set the engine and generator on the trailer, the springs creaked as the trailer settled under the load. A steel toolbox was positioned next to the generator and lashed down. The four haulers pulled away, their pace a bit less brisk. Susan followed behind them, a wheel under each arm. She studied the wheels as she walked. Someone had fastened lengths of salvage tire tread to the recesses in the rims. Pneumatic tires made trailers easier to haul over the road and ground, but empty rims would hug the rails. The rubber inserts would cut down on the steel-on-steel -steel clatter. Pretty clever, she thought. Seems like the sort of thing Martin would have figured out.
A sentry, with one hand holding an earbud, waved them on urgently with his free hand. It was nearly seven o'clock. The border guard change would be coming soon. The generator's trailer was the last one across the bridge. A handful of people followed behind Susan, lifting up trampled grass and brush. Others scattered new dry leaves. Within a few minutes, there would be no trace that the trailers and crowd of workers had ever passed through. There was a contagious energy among the people trotting down the side roads with their four-man steel rickshaws. Susan felt the excitement, but also an apprehension at their exposure. It reminded her of Barton's chickens, who would contentedly coo and cluck while they were safely beneath a bush, but run and flap nervously when they crossed the open yard. They knew they were vulnerable to hawks in the open. Susan felt vulnerable to human hawks, being so far from the camp. The tool teams worked quickly and wordlessly at the railroad crossing, like a NASCAR pit crew. Wheels with tires were unbolted and hidden in the leaves. They bolted the empty rims onto the trailers and lifted each onto the tracks. With more sentries waving them on, each rickshaw team pulled away. The only sound was the crunch of feet on the rocks between the railroad tracks and the occasional rattle from a trailer spring. With her load of wheels delivered, Susan was back to having no job to do. She trotted behind the generator trailer, figuring that some other task might present itself once they reached the gravel yard. A team of four inserted the arc poles into the steam engine frame. They pushed their way through the brush that lined the track bed. Others picked up the trailers to turn them around to face the opposite direction on the tracks. Susan followed the generator bearers. Justine directed people to different work sites. Two men walked backward, unspooling extension cords. In the pre-dawn light, the conveyors resembled industrial dinosaur skeletons. A man and a woman each carried armloads of wood to fuel the boiler. Others emptied the toolbox, each trotting off to their assigned dinosaur. Two men began pounding tall stakes into the frozen sand. Others carried boxes of what looked like trash. While still others began dumping buckets of ashes between two of the dinosaurs. Can I help with something? Susan asked. Justine was busy pointing to hand drawings of the conveyors. She directed people with cutters to where she wanted the cuts made. Uh, sorry, dear, what? Justine looked up. Is there something I can do to help? Oh, not at the moment. Everyone here came with a task to do. Oh, Susan turned away. She spotted Xavier talking to a cluster of people. She merged into the cluster to listen for possible tasks to do. Xavier pointed to spots on a map, then pointed to distant landmarks. I want minimal radio use, understand? Only serious emergencies, and even then... Only with the approved codes. If the feds pick up a bunch of radio traffic, even if they don't know what it is, they'll know that something is going on out here. He pointed to a man in a hunter's coat. You, take up position at that stand of pines. You can see Hal's position from there. Got your signal? The man nodded and pulled a red rag out of his pocket. Good. Xavier turned to the woman in front of Susan. Now, you pick up your position under that sign. You can see Charon's post from there. 
Could I do a lookout post? Susan asked. We don't need any more lookouts. Xavier turned to assign two other people to their positions around the gravel yard. But back at the lodge, I heard you say there was a gap and you were short-handed, said Susan. Xavier was about to disagree, but stopped as he remembered saying that. We don't need to fill that gap, said Xavier with a sigh. There are only two roads in here. Hal is watching one, Sharon the other. The gap, it's just woods. Susan felt chastened, but didn't want to let it go. Then it won't hurt if I go be a lookout there, right? Ah, but you don't have the long gun, said Xavier. No lookouts without the long guns. You've got that extra rifle, that, that Planet of the Apes gun, said the man who ate moose. Xavier glared at Moose Man. He wasn't helping. No one's using that one, uh, right? Offered Moose Man meekly. All right, fine, said Xavier. He called to a man carrying an extension cord. Ziggy, go get me that ape gun. Yes, right now. Susan's face brightened as Xavier showed her the map and where to sit. She sensed that he was only placating her, but being a lookout was better than carrying wheels. And since you're so concerned about the protocol, Xavier stared at the moose man, you are going with her, no solo rookies. What? But I was... You have been reassigned, said Xavier. He reached out for the rifle Ziggy brought. Okay, here is your rifle. It is the butt ugly, but that is what we've got, so no complaining. He gave Susan a quick orientation for how to operate the rifle. Bolt, safety, mag release. Only ten rounds, but that won't matter. Do not shoot at anything. It is defensive only. Gunshots carry for miles, and we do not want to attract any attention. Understand? Susan tried not to smile as she nodded. She had to persist to get an assignment, and it was to watch an area that was nothing but empty woods. But she had an assignment. When everyone returned to camp, she will have done something. When you are in position and he is certain that it is all clear, give the signal, said Xavier. The noisy work won't begin until all outposts have signaled the all clear. Thanks for helping, Susan said as she and Moose Man walked to the edge of the gravel yard. You're welcome, I guess, said the man. He looked over his shoulder. I was supposed to help haul the cutoffs back to the trailers. Oh, well. This will be less work. My name is Owen, by the way. I don't think we got introduced or anything. I'm Susan. Oh, yeah, I remember. You're the coonskinner and roadfinder. I'm just, well, kind of a worker me. No special skills like you, but I do a little bit of everything. Got to work long days to earn my room and board. I do some hunting, though. Brought in two crows the day before yesterday. Not a lot of meat on a crow. Crows? Don't they taste bad? Well, they don't taste great or anything. But I didn't think they tasted bad. Got them with my hunting stick. Owen proudly held up the barkless stick swinging from his belt. It was about the size of a child's baseball bat. Of course, when you're hungry... Susan didn't want to talk about eating odd wild things. 
She held up the rifle in front of her. What did he mean when he said this was an ugly gun? How is it ugly? Or, for that matter, how is yours pretty? I never thought guns could be pretty. Well, maybe pretty isn't the right word exactly, but say, you're rooming in the girls' cabin, right? Owen took a few faster steps so he could catch Susan's eye. He had an eager grin of someone about to ask to borrow something. Yeah, Susan wondered where his non-sequitur was going. Kayla's in the girls' cabin, too. So you guys are like roommates. I guess so. So you guys like talking stuff, right? He looked over with eager anticipation. Oh, God, Susan thought. He's got a crush on Kayla, and he wants to know if she talks about him. She tried not to make her sigh obvious. She felt like her life had become one of those Russian novels with thousands of characters. She had gone from knowing almost no one in her Somerville neighborhood to knowing dozens of people in Cheshire, and now many more people in the camp. She had met more people in the last few months than she had her entire life before. Her mind felt too full for one more dramatic pair. Well, we haven't had much of a chance to talk, she said. While true enough, she knew that her answer wouldn't satisfy him. A man with a crush is not easily dissuaded. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, I think Kayla's doing a great job as camp doctor and everything. She's a really hard worker and pretty good at playing rummy, and I think we should be quieter now, Susan said with her finger over her lips. This is the spot on the ridge that Xavier assigned us. We need to check things out and signal back that it's all clear. Owen nodded, but he was clearly dissatisfied at learning nothing new about Kayla. He and Susan settled into positions on either side of a large birch, just over the rise from the gravel yard. Her stocking cap kept creeping up because of her curly hair. Her ears were cold. She tucked her hair into the stocking cap and pulled it down to keep it from creeping up. They could be sitting there for hours. Below them, they could see the sparsely wooded land slope down, then back up a broad hill. The country road went around one side of the hill, following the river. The gravel yard's driveway wound around the other side of the hill. I don't see anything, whispered Susan. Me either. I'll give the sign. Owen walked back up to the crest and waved the red rag back and forth above his head. Susan could hear the faint whine of power tools, muffled by distance and the opposite slope. She could almost visualize the dozens of people swarming over their conveyors, pulling parts off and carrying them to the rail trailers like leafcutter ants. Guess now we just watch nothing happen, said Owen. He took a seat beside the birch. Nothing happening would be just fine with me, whispered Susan. She slowly scanned the far hillside. Light snow beneath the trees made a better backdrop for spotting movement. There was none. She stared at her rifle. It had a long black plastic stock, so only a short section of the barrel showed. Did long barrels make guns pretty? Why would that make any difference? It's a tool. It either does the job or it doesn't. Are there pretty and ugly screwdrivers? She shook her head. The male mind was a mystery. Kayla is pretty amazing, 
Owen whispered around the birch. Susan slumped. It was going to be a long and tedious watch. Yet she felt like a guest, where the camp was Owen's home. She felt obliged to be nice. Oh? Yeah. She was only a school nurse before all of this, but she had been reading medical books and stuff. She set Rory's broken arm a couple of months ago. He fell down the pump-house ladder. She read up on what to do and did a great job. Rory's back in action because of her. She's always worried that people... Shh! Huh? Look off to the left. Don't move. Just look. Left side of the hill. The cluster of pines. I saw something move. I don't see any... Oh, wait. You're right. Two people. Are there more of them? Susan whispered. I don't see any. Just those two. They're in camo and got rifles. They look like soldiers. If they stay going the way they are, they're going to pass us on the left, but it looks like they'll go over the rise right into the gravel yard. Susan could feel her breathing speeding up. What are we supposed to do? she asked. We don't have a radio. If we get up and wave your red flag, they'll see that. She slowly raised her rifle to her shoulder. Through the ghost ring, she centered the front sight on the larger of the two men. You can't shoot them, protested Owen. If there are more that we can't see, the shot will bring them running. Susan was secretly happy to be talked out of shooting a stranger. She wasn't sure she could have pulled the trigger anyway. Then what do we do? They'll walk over the ridge and see everything. I don't know. Xavier never... Ah! gasped Susan. They saw us! The two soldiers pointed at Susan and Owen. They began to run toward them, rifles at low ready. Now, trouble has found Susan. If you've read the book already, you know the trouble she's headed for. If you haven't read the book, I won't spoil it for you. Suffice it to say that she's headed for big trouble. Chapter 6 was a transition chapter, but one in which the Susan character was actively lobbying for something to do. That something winds up putting her in grave danger. Part of my having her be so eager to volunteer was so that her peril wouldn't be someone else's fault. That's not to say that what happens to her is her own fault, in the sense of blaming the victim. Rather, it's that doing active service in dangerous situations necessarily exposes one to the possibility of danger. It's like soldiers, law enforcement, or firefighters. By choosing to do the dangerous tasks, they run the risk of bad things happening to them. Now, in Susan's case, she really didn't imagine the danger, but when it came, she thought about the good of the group over her own good. Hmm. I guess I gave you a little spoiler for the start of Chapter 7 after all. I'd better stop talking before I give it all away. I'd like to give a shout-out to those listeners who bought me some coffees after the last chapter. You know who you are. Thanks. I really do appreciate your encouragement. <laughs>